God's people said, Amen. Uh, Like I said, today is the final week in our Beatitudes, and what my hope and prayer is is that over the past several weeks, you've done what the disciples did 2,000 years ago, and that is to come to Him with a sincere heart. That's what they came to him with. They came with a sincere heart. And I pray over the last several weeks you've done the same exact thing as they have done or did, that you have come with a sincere heart, willing to receive, willing to conform to the words of life and truth that are spoken into our lives so that you can be pleasing and blessed. Amen. This this series is all about blessedness. It's what the Beatitudes are all about. But the reality is we can't be blessed unless we're pleasing And we can't be pleasing unless we have begun uh, like the disciples did. And that is with a sincere heart, just wanting to receive and do the will of the Father. But before I finish up and actually get to the last beatitude, I want to rewalk real briefly the path that Jesus has laid before us over the last several weeks. Because remember, the beatitudes are more than empty words. It's more than a story that I've uh, I've told you over the last several weeks, and it's certainly far more than a, a six-week Bible study that I needed uh, to fill up some time on Wednesday night. And the Beatitudes are a spiritual journey that uh, Christ took His disciples on, and I hope it's been a spiritual journey for you as well. The Beatitudes, in all reality, according to Christ, are the life that we are to live as Christians and the character that we are to be as well. And when we do these things and when we are these things that Jesus has brought before us, blessedness and joy is what follows. Amen. So remember, this was the first sermon Christ preached to the people. This was the the kickoff sermon to his life's ministry church. It was the foundation of their future and the foundation of their faith. And there is an importance to whatever I would think. And I preached it before. If this is the first sermon he preached, we better make sure we get something out of it. Because what this tells me, if it's his first sermon, that, that, that the rest of our lives and the rest of our faith hinges and is built upon whether we understand, receive, and implement these words into our life. But this, the Beatitudes, in my opinion, are the outline to the life his listeners were to live and the people we are to be. The Beatitudes is the path to blessedness or the path path to the the blessedness that God has in store for those who walk uprightly before him. What you have to understand, there is no blessedness where we don't walk uprightly. There is no blessedness or this life joy that we've talked about over the last several weeks unless we decide to walk uprightly upon the path that he has paved for us, church. If you know the Old Testament, you'll find several occasions where God speaks and tells his people that blessings and happiness will follow those who follow the law and those who keep the law and those who cling to the law in their life. In Deuteronomy 11:26, God says to the people, see, today I am placing before you a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you listen to my words, a blessing if you heed my words, hear my words, and do my words, but a curse if you walk in your own ways, a curse if you do what's right in your own eyes. He says a blessing, there's a blessing on this side of my word if you keep my word and stand on my word, and a curse if you don't. There's a blessing if you pursue righteousness and holiness, but a curse if you don't. And here in Matthew chapter 5, remember after 400 years of silence, 
There's 400 years that take place between Malachi and Matthew. And here, Jesus' first message, after 400 years of silence, He leads us, He opens His mouth, and He outlines the way to blessedness once again. There's something important about what God has to say. You would think that after after 400 years of silence, there's something important about the first message in the first sermon that God would speak after 400 years. And we have to understand the urgency and the importance of this. I, I think we have to understand as we go through our walk of faith, as we go through our Christian life, I believe with all of my heart we always have to come back at some point to this first message and this first sermon and understand the importance of it and how everything else about our Christian faith is built upon this Sermon church. So often we just look at it and say, oh, that's so great. We can be blessed. But this is the foundation of our faith and we cannot forget it. But this is what he says after he opens his mouth for 400 years. The first thing he says is blessed are they. He says, happy are they. He says, joyful are they. And he begins to outline. And this is what we'll look at. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness sake, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God, like we looked at last week. And finally, he closes out his sermon by saying, Blessed are they that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the cause of the kingdom. Blessed are they because theirs is that kingdom church. Listen, there's no greater blessing we can have than the kingdom of God. There's no greater blessing we can have than eternal life with our Father which is in heaven. It's the greatest blessing we can have. He opened up this sermon with the same blessing and he ends it with the blessing. This is what it's all about. It's all about acquiring the kingdom of God. The word persecuted that Jesus uses, which I'm going to focus on in our study tonight because that's the title of my message. Persecuted. That's what we're going to look at. But the word persecuted Jesus used means this, to be pursued with hostile intent. It means to be denounced. It means to be ill-treated. It means to be threatened with death or inflicted with injury or death as well. But it goes on for righteousness sake, for doing the right thing, for conforming to God's standards and not the standards of this world, for following the ways of God and not following the ways of men. Blessed are they that are persecuted for righteousness sake, the Bible says, for doing the right thing, for being a voice crying out in the wilderness when no one else is crying with you. Do you understand this is what persecution is all about? Persecution and the blessing comes to the individual that's willing to be that voice crying in the wilderness for Jesus Christ when no one else is out there with you. It's like being John the Baptist who is the only one crying out in the wilderness, but he was blessed because he was willing to cry out in the wilderness. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake is what he is saying. Blessed are those who are willing to be a light shining in complete darkness when no one else is willing to. You see, we're living in a generation and we're living in a society where persecution isn't a, isn't 
isn't talked about very much. And it's not talked about very much because the pulpit has spent so much time talking about prosperity and talking about peace that there's no room for persecution in that. You see, there's a lot of people in the house of God today, they don't want to hear anything about persecution. They want to hear all about happiness and they want to hear all about blessings and they want to hear about all of these things that that are good for us. But Jesus ends his sermon. He's talking about blessedness and he's talking about joy and he's talking about this this life uh, joy that that we can experience as children of God. But, But along with that, he's talking about persecution. He's talking about this blessedness hinges on the fact, please grasp this. What he's letting us know as he closes out his sermon is that this blessedness that he's talking about and this life joy that he's talking about and the the presence of peace that he's talking about all hinges on the fact of whether or not we are willing to be persecuted for righteousness sake. Because if you're not, the blessings he's talking about aren't yours. Because if you're not willing to be persecuted for righteousness sake, the life joy and the life peace that he's talking about can't be yours. Because unless you are willing to stand up for God, he's not going to stand up for you. Unless you're willing to take a position uh, concerning righteousness, we cannot expect those blessings in our life. Please notice, persecution is what happens to the righteous according to the word of God. Persecution doesn't come to the carnal. Persecution doesn't come to the corrupt. Persecution doesn't come to the, to the complacent or the, the Christian couch potato who's, who sits around waiting for everybody else to do kingdom work on their behalf. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, church. Not the silent who are sitting on the sidelines of faith, like I said, waiting for someone else to fight the fight and waiting for someone else to, to run the race. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Persecution is what happens to those who have the character of Christ evident in their lives and predominant in their lives and visible in their lives. Not those who are hiding their, their light under the bush so no one can see. No, it, it, he's not talking about blessings coming to the individual that's, that's afraid of standing up and giving an account of the hope that lies within them. This is not who Jesus is referring to. He's referring to the individual who's willing to answer the call and the commission of Christ to preach the gospel of truth to a lost and dying world. He's talking about the individual that's willing to take the word of God like I've preached over the last several weeks into the highways and the byways and the dark places of society. Places no one else wants to go to. Places no one else wants to be seen, church. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. The reality is... Persecution is what happened to the disciples, and it will happen to every individual who who decides to stand up for righteousness as well. The reality is, if we are true Christians, if we are truly like Christ, because that's what the word means. I know so often we so, uh, the society so casually throws that word out, I'm a Christian. But we need to clearly understand that Christian means Christ-like. So if we are true Christians, if we are truly like Christ, then we too will be persecuted. We too will be denounced. We too will be pursued with hostile intent, ill-treated, just like Christ was, church. And if we aren't, we've got to ask ourselves if I am truly like Christ. If we're not being persecuted for righteousness' sake... 
If we're not having to give an account of the hope that lies within us, if we, if we never find ourselves having to defend the gospel, if we never find ourselves having to take a stand for righteousness, we have to ask ourselves if, I, if we are truly like Christ. Because if we are like Christ, we will be persecuted. If we are like Christ, we will be hated. If we are like Christ, we will be denounced and we will be condemned. We will be mocked and made fun of if we are like Christ. And if we're not, we've got to ask ourselves, why, church? Jesus is teaching the disciples that persecution is a sign that lets them know I'm doing the will of the Father. Persecution is a sign that I'm in right standing with the Father. Persecution is a sign that there's something right going on in my life. That's what persecution is a sign of. And yet, we want to shun it. We don't want anything to do with it. But Jesus is saying that blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Jesus said in John fifteen eighteen to 20, If they hated me, they'll hate you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. But he goes on to say, if you are not of this world... You see, if you're hanging out in this world and doing the things of this world and you're a reflection of the world, guess what? The world is going to love you, Jesus said. They're going to leave you alone. They're going to embrace you. They're not going to hate you. What they hate is light, the Bible says. What they hate is salt. What they hate is is the light of Christ shining into the corruption of their soul. What they hate is the the salt of of Jesus Christ uh, touching the wounds of their sinful heart. That They hate the light and they hate the salt. But Jesus said, if you're like me, you're going to be hated. If you're like me, you're going to be persecuted. If you're not like the world, Jesus said, if you're like the world, the world will love you. But if you're like me, the world will hate you, church. Persecution is what will happen to those who have an unfailing love for Jesus Christ and not this world. Those who have an uncompromising love for Jesus Christ, a devotion to the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth. That's where persecution takes place, church. Please grasp this. Persecution does not pursue Understand that's what persecution does. It pursues the righteous. It pursues those that, that, that stand up for God and have a, a sense or a standard of righteousness established in their life. Persecution doesn't pursue the lukewarm Christian. Persecution doesn't pursue the compromising Christian. Persecution doesn't pursue or waste its time going after individuals that are sitting on the sideline or standing still. You have to understand that. Persecution doesn't concern itself with the individual sitting on the sideline of their faith, watching the world go by, watching the world go to hell in a handbasket. Persecution doesn't, doesn't care about those individuals. Who persecution goes after, who persecution pursues and, and, and goes after are the individuals that are moving forward for the kingdom of God. Listen, if you're standing still, how can anyone pursue you? If you're sitting still, how can anyone pursue you? I want you to understand persecution pursues the individual that has its eyes set toward heaven and has its eyes set towards a standard of righteousness. And no matter what comes before it, I'm going to keep on moving. That's who persecution pursues. Persecution could care less about anyone else. Doesn't waste its time on pew warmers. Doesn't waste its time on carnal Christians. It goes after those individuals that will make a difference for the kingdom of God. 
That's who persecution goes after. And Jesus was trying to teach the disciples, this is who I want you to be. I want you to be the individual that hell chases after. I want you to be the individual that stirs up the hornet's nest of hell. I want you to be the individual that moves forward for the kingdom of God. And every demon tries to stop. That's who I want you to be. And listen, when you are that, my disciples, when you are that, my brothers, when you are that, my friends, Jesus said, you will be persecuted just like I'm going to be. You'll be ill-treated. You'll be denounced. You'll be shunned. You'll be cast aside. You'll be ridiculed. You'll be mocked. You'll be spoken of in a negative way. But this is what Jesus is trying to teach him. Please, he's saying, I want you to expect these things in your life. We don't hear that today, church. We hardly hear this kind of message coming from today's pulpits or today's modern Christianity, but it was the foundation of Jesus' teaching in their lives. This is who persecution pursues. Persecution goes earnestly and aggressively after those who are moving the kingdom of God forward It goes after the individual that has decided to strip away every weight that so easily besets them so that they might run that race with endurance. Please understand that's your call. You can't run when you're weighed down by the the culture of this world. You can't run for Christ with your arms wrapped around the things of this world. You can't embrace righteousness and unrighteousness at the same time. You can't embrace holiness and, and, and ungodliness at the same time. But I want you to understand persecution goes after the individual that has stripped away every single thing that keeps them from running and they start running. That's who persecution goes after and that's who God... God has called us to be church because persecution doesn't care about complacency. It cares about the individual or goes after the individual that said, this little light of mine, no matter how little it is, I'm going to let it shine. I'm not going to let Satan blow it out. I know that's a kid's song, but I want you to understand it's what Jesus is teaching his disciples. And they weren't little kids. These were individuals that were about to change the world. And Jesus said, you can't change that world unless you let your light shine. And when you do, guess what? The devil's going to try to put it out whatever way he can. He'll water it to try to water it down with depression. He'll bring storms into your life and difficulties in your life. He'll bring Goliaths in your life. He'll, he'll, He'll create mountains to cast shadows over your life. But the individual, Jesus is saying in the midst of all that, the way that you are blessed is that you just keep on moving. And you keep on preaching and you keep on standing up for righteousness. Listen, persecution pursues those like Daniel who refused to compromise or cower or cut short his prayers. That's what the evil, that's what the evil rulers or the, those around the king wanted to do. They wanted him to stop praying. They wanted him to stop magnifying the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They wanted him to conform to them and to their culture. And he said, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to cut my prayer short. I'm going to stand up for my God. I'm going to stand up for my faith. And no matter what they do, I'm going to continue to set my eyes to God and pray and call out on him. 
And he was persecuted for it, church. It's what persecution does. That's, the, that's what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about persecution. It goes after those who fail to compromise. And it puts them in a lion's den just to try to shut them up. Persecution pursues and it goes after aggressively and with hostility. Individuals like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who, who refuse to bow down to the pressures of an unrighteous leader. They refuse to play politics, church, with their faith. They refuse to play politics with their God. They didn't allow the culture that they were in to compromise their faith. And because of it, the Bible tells us that they were thrown into a fiery furnace. They were persecuted for righteousness' sake. And this is what we have to learn from this. When every other individual in Babylon bowed to a madman... And I hope you I hope you know scripture enough to know that King Nebuchadnezzar was a madman. He was a madman. He he wasn't all there up here. He was he was really a, a psycho. If someone didn't obey him, one of the things that he would do is chop them up into tiny little pieces and scatter them out for all the the, the town to see. Little just chop them up and and do things like throw them in a fiery furnace. But they when everyone else bowed to church. These individuals refused to bow. When every single, read it yourself, when every single leader in the land, when the judges, when the politicians, when the rulers, when the princes and the paupers in the land, every one of them bowed. When every other Jew that was held in captivity in Babylon bowed, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't. Don't think that they were the only three Jewish boys in in Babylon. They weren't. There were thousands of them that were captured and taken into captivity in Babylon. And when everyone else in the land bowed down to a corrupt king, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood firm in their faith. They would not compromise, church. They would not bow down to the pressures of an unrighteous leader, like I said. And because of it, they were thrown into a fiery furnace. They were persecuted because of it. And so will we when we stand up for God and when we stand up for righteousness instead of bowing to man or bowing to political pressures that surround us today, church. Listen, most of us, in all reality... Don't have a clue what spiritual persecution is all about. None of us have ever gone through something like this. And if you have, tell me, because I like to change my story and talk to you about it. I know individuals that have been persecuted like this. I don't know many in America. I know individuals that have been persecuted like this overseas and in foreign lands. But I don't know anyone that's got stories like this here in America. But there's a day coming where that might happen, church. Where we will be persecuted for righteousness sake. And listen to me. If we can't stand up for God when there is no persecution. You think you're going to stand up for God when there is? If you can't stand up for God when there's not this kind of persecution take going on in our life. Wait until you have real persecution take place in your life. This is what Jesus is trying to teach the disciples. Be prepared for persecution. So often we think persecution... I've been there, at least when I was younger in my faith. We think persecution is someone staring at us funny when we lift our hands in worship. We think persecution is when someone stares at us all the way from the back row as we make our way to the altar. That's what we think persecution is. We think persecution is someone snickering when we decide to whoo, do a little dance and do a little clap and do a little shout. We, we cringe and we think we're being persecuted because someone's looking at me funny and maybe I should shut up and maybe I should sit down. 
That's what we think persecution is. But that's nothing, church. That's not persecution at all. We think persecution is someone arguing with us over the word of God at the water cooler at work. That's not persecution. We think persecution is someone just telling us, you know what, your faith is nothing but a crutch. That's not persecution, church. That's simply giving an account of the hope that lies within us. We think persecution is the Department of Education telling us that we can't pray in school or mention Jesus in class. But real persecution, listen to me, church, is what happens when we do pray. Real persecution is what happens when we do mention Jesus. Real persecution is when we do quote scripture at a closing ceremony at a graduation. Please grasp this church. Persecution was not Daniel being told he couldn't pray. Persecution was what happened when he did pray. Please understand, persecution was not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being, t- uh, being told to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's idol. Persecution is what happened when they refused to bow down. You see, this world can do all kinds of things, w- but, but please understand, persecution is what happens when we stand up for righteousness. Persecution is what happens when we move the kingdom of God forward, not when we stand still, not when we're silent, not when we do all the things that so many of us do. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Persecution isn't political pandering or political correctness telling us how to think and telling us what to do. It's what happens when we refuse to bow to the pressures of this world. When we refuse to bow or conform ourselves to the mindset of today's liberal society church, that's what persecution is all about. And if we're willing to take a stand for righteousness, if we're willing to rise up and say enough is enough, when we're willing to say, this is what the Word of God says, and this is the way I will live, and this is what I will do, whether anyone else says it or not, that's when persecution will take place. It happened all throughout Scripture. It happened to the disciples. It happened to to Jesus, and it will happen to us as well. It's what happens when we move forward for righteousness' sake, regardless of what what opposition we face. Persecution is what happens, like I said a few moments ago, when light shines into the the corrupt places of a dark society that we live in. And how many of you know our society is getting darker and darker and darker? And I want us to understand that it is our job to shine a light into that darkness, church. But so often we sit around, we sit on the sidelines and we wait for someone else to do it because we're afraid or because we don't want to be persecuted or because we don't want to be thought of in a certain way or because I've got a reputation that I have to protect or because this might happen and that might happen. But Jesus said, listen, this is what you're supposed to do. And it's what we have to do, too. Persecution is what happens when we are the salt that God called us to be, church. When we begin, when when our very presence begins to make this this polluted world feel uncomfortable. Persecution. Do you understand what persecution is? It's, It's everybody walks away when the righteous one walks into the room. I'm not saying that we should live in such a way that we want everybody to run out of a room because salt salt has a preservative as well. You know, when we do walk in a room, we shouldn't in all reality want people to run from us. 
Because we're just a big loud mouth and because we just want to thump people with the Bible over their head, we got to do it in a right way. But I want you to understand there should be something about our life that makes unrighteousness feel uncomfortable. There should be something about the light that is shining in our life that causes the darkness to be disturbed. That's what persecution is all about, being light and being salt, church. If you live like Christ, the reality is if you... If you live like Christ before a wicked world that's watching, there is a price to pay. And that price is persecution. There is a price to pay for living like Jesus Christ. It's what he's trying to tell his disciples. There's a price that you're going to have to pay to live like me. There's a price you're going to have to pay to go out into this world and share the good news of Jesus Christ. There's a price that you're going to have to pay to let your light shine and to be the salt of the earth. There's a price that you're going to have to pay, church, and that price is persecution. He's trying to prepare them. He was trying to let them know who, who they needed to be and what would happen if they did it. Listen, according to Matthew 5.11... He goes on and says, we read verse 10, but he says, they will insult you. They will persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. But when they do, we are to rejoice, Jesus said, and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Because blessed are they who are persecuted for righteousness sake, church, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 5, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he's letting his followers know, like I said, that discipleship wasn't going to be easy. That advancing and defending the gospel would come with a price, and that price would be persecution. And all of them paid that price. If you read biblical history, if you read about the lives of every one of the apostles, every single apostle was persecuted for righteousness sake. Every single apostle was put to death or attempted to be put to death. The only one that was not killed by the hand of man was John, the apostle John. He died on the island of Patmos. Every, uh, every single other disciple or apostle was persecuted and killed for righteousness sake. If you read their history, you'll find that some were crucified just like Christ, some upside down, some on X-shaped crosses. Some of them were beheaded. Some of them were flayed alive with knives or with whips, similar to how Jesus' back was flayed with a whip when he was being beaten before his crucifixion. One of them was thrown a hundred feet from the, the pinnacle of the temple, the, the, the southeast pinnacle of the temple. He fell a hundred feet to, to the rocks below. And, they, and those that threw him off found that he wasn't dead. So they went down and they clobbered him to death. Some were stoned, some were beaten, some were bruised, battered, flogged. But they were all persecuted for righteousness sake. Please grasp this. They weren't persecuted because they stood on the sidelines and watched someone else fight the fight. They weren't persecuted because they stood in the back row saying, Amen, brother, preach it. They were persecuted because they preached it themselves, because they were light themselves, because they were salt themselves. Please understand, I'm not saying don't amen me. I'm not saying don't applaud, and I'm not saying don't clap, and I'm not saying it's a sin to do any of that. What I'm saying is that God expects you to be persecuted just like the end, or speak up just like the individual you're amening. These individuals were persecuted for righteousness sake. And the church was built through that persecution. All throughout Scripture, 
I want you to understand that the church grew bigger when persecution came upon it. The church expanded when persecution came upon it. And I'm telling you, a persecution is coming upon our church as well. Not just here, the modern day church. God needs us to rise up. God, we, Pastor prayed about a revival to sweep the nation. And one of the best ways for a revival is for persecution to come upon the church. For us to be wakened up by it. For a line to be drawn in the sand and be asked, which side are you going to stand on, church? That's what has to happen in our society. And that's what happens when persecution sweeps across the land. It's what happens when the church is persecuted. It draws a line in the sand and it asks, which side are you going to stand on? The side of righteousness or the side of unrighteousness? The side of my word or the side of this world? Where are you going to stand? That's what happens in the, in the midst of persecution, church. Please understand, if we ever needed a time when God's people needed to be salt and light, it's today. If, there, if, if we ever needed to be pillars and supports of the truth, it's today. If there were ever individuals that needed to stand up and say, Thus saith the word of the Lord, it's today. If there's ever a time when individuals need to be who God has called them to be, church, sons and daughters of the Most High God, it's today. If there were ever a time when we needed to risk persecution, it's today. Especially with things that we've heard in the news over the last few days, church. It just swept all across the news channels. I guarantee you what the president talked about this past weekend was talked about from probably uh, 90% of the pulpits all across the nation. If there was ever a time when the church needed to be who the church has called the church to be, it's today. There was ever a time we needed to risk persecution, regardless of what anyone thinks, regardless of what the consequences of our position for righteousness should be, it's today. Listen, I'm not here to condemn anyone. I'm not here to just throw out a bunch of names. I'm here to teach you the Word of God that says there comes a point in time in every single one of our lives who call themselves Christians where you need to risk persecution. Where you need to get up off the sidelines. Where you need to stop being complacent about your faith. When you need to become vocal and active in advancing the kingdom of God. And I believe with all of my heart, especially after this last weekend, when the President of the United States came out and supported gay marriage, we need to stand up for righteousness. You see, like I said, I'm not here to condemn anybody, but I... I believe according to the Word of God. If you want to, if you want to talk about the Word of God with me, I'd be happy to talk about the Word of God with you. But the President of the United States this past weekend took a stand on the side of unrighteousness. I want you to understand that the President of the United States, and I don't care who he is and what his name is. I don't care if this happened five years ago, 15 years ago, or 20 years ago. I want you to understand that when he did what he did, he drew a line in the sands of sin. And he said, I'm going to stand on this side, church. He took a stand for unrighteousness. He didn't take a stand for gay marriage. He took a stand for unrighteousness. He didn't take a stand for homosexuals. He took a stand for ungodliness. He didn't take a stand for those that want to have same-sex marriages. He took a stand against the Word of God itself. 
Please understand, this topic and this issue has nothing to do simply with... It doesn't just have to do with gay marriage. It has to do with righteousness or unrighteousness. The will of God or the the will of man has to do with good and evil, right and wrong, church. And where we stand on that side of the line, please get this, will determine whether we are blessed or whether we are cursed. That's what Jesus said. A place before you today, a blessing and a curse. If you stand on this side of the line, you're going to be blessed. If you stand on this side of the line, you're going to be cursed. Here's what you need to understand. If you're the only one standing on this side... If you're the only one standing on the side of righteousness, you're the only one that will be blessed. If you're the only one standing on this side of righteousness, you'll be the only one to see the kingdom of God. God is not a man that he should lie. He will not deny himself and he will not deny his word. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven doesn't belong to the unrighteous. The kingdom of heaven doesn't belong to those who take a stand for unrighteousness. The kingdom of heaven doesn't belong to those who compromise their faith. The kingdom of heaven doesn't belong to those who bow to King Nebuchadnezzar. The kingdom of heaven doesn't belong to those who conform their standards to the culture of this world. The kingdom of heaven belongs to those that are willing to take a stand on the side of righteousness. And this is exactly what Jesus was teaching the disciples. That there is coming a time in your life, many a times in your life, when a line will be drawn and you've got to decide which side you'll be on. And today's that day. Today is the day where everyone that calls themselves Christians because of what's happening in our society, today is the day when we all must make a decision on which side of that line we will stand, church. Listen, I've already seen it happening in the news, and so have you. You're going to see over the next few days, over the next few weeks, and over the next few months that anyone who does not support gay rights... Anyone that does not support gay marriage and support the the gay agenda, anyone who does not stand on the side of unrighteousness and compromise, they will be persecuted. They'll be ill-treated. They'll be denounced. There was a minister that was on the, the, the news station the other day that was, that was on there hopefully to defend traditional marriage, hopefully to defend God's standard of righteousness. And they didn't even give him a chance to speak the one that they denounced him. That was the only reason they brought him on was to denounce his position and to speak evil against him. That's all that they wanted to do. And it's what persecution does for the individual that's willing to do what he did in the, in, in, in the face of the entire world and say, this is what I stand for. And what they're standing for is unrighteousness. I'm standing for God, regardless if I'm the only one that stands there or not. This is what we have to understand, church. There was ever a time we needed to take that position. It's today. But please get this. I'm not talking about fence walkers here. I'm not talking about the individuals that are undecided about who they're going to serve and who they're going to uh, 
follow and who they're going to listen to. That's, that's not who this message is about, and it's not who Jesus is talking about, church. He's, he's talking about, he's not talking about uh, the individuals that, that Joshua spoke to in chapter 24, who he called literally spiritually handicapped because they couldn't make up their mind who they wanted to serve or where they wanted to stand concerning a standard of righteousness in their lives. He spoke to to a generation of people that were supposedly God's people. And he he had to speak to them. He He too had to draw a line in the sand and say, look, make a decision who you're going to serve. He said, if, 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 serving, if serving God is undesirable for you, read it. And it's in chapter 4. He's looking out to the, 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 the sons and daughters of God and said, if, if serving God is undesirable for you, if it's too difficult for you, if it's too hard for you, if it's, if it's too uncomfortable for you, if it's, if it's too, too demoralizing for you, then he goes on and he says, then choose this day who you will serve. He was calling them to a decision, church. He actually said, I want you to stop limping between two opinions. They, they couldn't make up their mind on which side of that line they wanted to limp. They wanted to hold on to the world and they wanted to hold on to God at the same time. They wanted one foot on this side of the line and one foot on that side of the line. They were lukewarm. And he said, how long will you go on limping between two opinions? One day I'm on this side and one day I'm on this side. When when it suits me, I'm on the side of righteousness. And when it suits me, I'm on the side of unrighteousness. This is this is what Joshua was speaking to the generation that that was around him. How long will you go on limping between two opinions? He said. But he said this, he said. Regardless of who you serve, regardless of who you follow, regardless of where you stand, he said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. He said, I don't care which side of the line you stand on, I'm standing here. I don't care how many insults you hurl at me. I don't care how many names you call me. I don't care how, 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 you, how much you ill-treat me. This is where I'm standing. I'm not going to cross over this line into the realm of unrighteousness. Because I want God's anointing on my life. Because I want the kingdom of heaven to be mine. Because I want to be blessed. Because I want a life joy in my life. Because I want to be called a son and daughter of God. Because I want the earth to be mine and all that God has. This is what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples here. He's not referring to those that are undecided. He's not talking about those that are silent and are afraid to speak up like I said. He's talking about pillars and supports of the truth. That will not be moved. He's talking about individuals who are willing to defend the gospel at all costs. He's talking about individuals, church, who are willing to shine their light in complete darkness, like I've already said. For it is they who will be persecuted, Jesus said. And it's only those who will be blessed and no one else. Here in in Joshua 24, here's where I'm going to begin to close this down. Joshua wasn't just preaching a sermon. Joshua, when you study the scripture, was actually calling for a renewed covenant among God's people. 
They had been so far from God. They had been so detached from God. They had become so complacent in their walk and their relationship with God. They had become so lopsided and lukewarm in their faith. They had become so compromising in their relationship with God that Joshua knew that they needed a renewed covenant among his people. He understood that they needed to stop playing games and fence walking and ask the question, how long will you go on limping between two opinions? How long will you wait to make a decision for God? How long will you limp? And when he used the word limp, he was talking about acting like you're spiritually handicapped. How many of you know that you can live like you're spiritually handicapped? You can live like there's something wrong with your spiritual life. And this is what he was asking them. How long will you wait to establish a standard of righteousness in your life? How long will you wait to establish a standard of righteousness in your households? Because the, the, the spiritual complacency that they had had run amok in their households as well. How long will you sit silently on the sidelines and just... Cover yourself and compromise. How long will you act like you're spiritually handicapped? I believe, and with all of my heart, regardless of who we are, I believe there comes points and times in our life where God calls us to renew our covenant with Him. You see, we can take two positions with this thing that happened this past weekend. We can either... Sit back and say, well, it's going to blow over. It's another political issue. And, and by the time the election's done, it'll all be done. I don't really have to take a position on anything. It'll, it'll just all blow over. And that might be true and that might be the case, but God is still watching. And God is still waiting to see. The Bible says my eyes are wandering to and fro across the earth. So that I might show myself mighty and faithful to those whose hearts are completely mine. And so when we find ourselves an occasion like this, I I want you to understand that God's eyes begin to wander to and fro across the entire globe. When Barack Obama, the president of the United States, made that comment and made that decision... And made it clear to the American people where he stood, God's eyes began to wander across the earth. They begin to wander to and fro, up and down every aisle in the house of God, up and down every street and inside of every household, trying to find the individual that he could prove himself faithful to, and it will only be those whose heart is completely his. Those who say, no matter what, Authority says, no matter what the president says, no matter what anyone else says, this is where I am going to stand. This is what I am going to defend. And see, the reality is, if we are in broken covenant with Christ, we can't do that. It's exactly why Joshua called his people to a renewed covenant, because they were in broken covenant. It's why they couldn't take a stand, church. And there's what we have to understand and realize. If you can't make a commitment to Christ, if you're finding it difficult to stand up for the things of God and and to take a stand for righteousness and to establish yourself on the right side of that line, that I'm talking about, you might have to ask yourself if I'm in right covenant with God. Do I really have a covenant 
relationship with God. Because if you do, you wouldn't have to limp between two opinions. You would know as, as, as plainly as Joshua. Listen, he didn't have to hesitate. He didn't have to think about it. He didn't have to pray about it. He didn't have to fast about it. He didn't have to have a meeting with the pastor. He didn't have to bring together a big council. He simply said, no matter what you do, no matter who you serve, no matter who you call father and who you obey, as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. It's exactly what he said. And this is exactly what we have to be willing to do, church. We have to be willing to rise up in the face of the enemy who wants to do nothing but bring destruction upon lives and upon a society and say enough is enough. I've got to get up off the sideline. I've got to renew my covenant with Christ. I've got to renew my covenant to being who He's called me to be and, and renew my covenant to be salt and light. To this lost and dying world. And that's really what I want to end with this evening, church. You see, I believe that God, I don't care where you are. I don't care if you think I've been serving God for 50 years. And I love God and I'm in the house of God. That's all wonderful. But from time to time, we have to look at where we are, church. And we have to say, you know what, God, to demonstrate my devotion to you, I'm going to renew my covenant with you. Uh, For me to be who you've called me to be and to demonstrate my devotion and my love and my affection for you, I want to renew my covenant with you. Joshua called for that among his people. And I believe God is calling for that among his people today again. How many are willing to renew a covenant with me? To be that individual that will rise up on the side of righteousness and take a stand where a stand needs to be taken, church. This is what God is asking of us tonight. And this is how we will be blessed. If we want to be the individuals that he's talked about all throughout these beatitudes, if we want that life joy, if we want that blessedness, if we want that peace and that that comfort that will always be ours, no matter what goes on in life, we have to be in right covenant with God. We have to be willing to say, okay, God, I'm going to recovenant with you. 